Hello and welcome to this week's episode of the Real World Nutrition Podcast. This is episode 104, Food Safety in a Nutshell, Understanding Foodborne Illnesses. Hi everyone, welcome to another episode of the Real World Nutrition Podcast. This is Shelly Rael, the host and founder of Real World Nutrition and the Associated Podcast. And as I said, today I'm going to discuss how to prevent and manage foodborne illness, talk about some of the symptoms of foodborne illness, and the steps to take if you think you have it. Now, one of the reasons I am bringing this topic up today is as this episode is being recorded, it is the fall, September, and this is when things start getting a little more where we having more socializing. I shouldn't say more socializing, but there's some planned socializing. So foodborne illness is a concern year round all the time. But I tend to think of this time of year, the fall, and as we head into the holidays, is an especially risky time where food may be left out longer than necessary, or we have to trust that somebody else is cooking our food properly. So for example, tailgating, Halloween parties, Thanksgiving gatherings, other holiday parties from end-of-the-year work parties and Christmas and that sort of thing. So I always like to address foodborne illness. Actually, I don't like to address it, but address the topic so we can be a little bit more conscientious about our risk and what we can do about it. So let me get started with today's episode. As I said, this is food safety in a nutshell. And this is an important topic for everyone because even a seasoned or experienced cook or a novice in the kitchen can get foodborne illness. And so I'll address who's high risk, where we're more likely to get it. And then, as I said already, some of their symptoms and what we should do about it. So who is at the highest risk of getting foodborne illness? Well, technically, anybody could get it. It certainly doesn't discriminate, but some groups are more vulnerable than others. So some of us who are mostly well might have an upset stomach or loose stools or diarrhea for a little bit, while other populations could have potentially deadly consequences. And these would be individuals with a weakened immune system, like older adults, young children, pregnant women, and those who have chronic illnesses. So these are individuals who are at a higher risk of developing severe symptoms. So they have to be especially cautious about their food choices and preparation methods. So I'll mention this briefly, is that my parents deliver Meals on Wheels to the older adult population. And if their food is sitting for too long, so the food is delivered, after a few days, if they don't eat it, the risk of foodborne illness goes up significantly, especially with this at-risk population. So I always say, as much as we hate to waste food, it's better to throw it out than get sick. But where are you more likely to get foodborne illness? A lot of people tend to think it's restaurants when it isn't always the case. So the source of foodborne illness can vary and it can occur both at home 
and in restaurants. Many foodborne outbreaks originate in homes due to improper food handling and storage. And then, of course, restaurants are not exempt either. And at restaurants, improper food storage, cross-contamination, and undercooked food can all lead to some of these foodborne illnesses when dining out. So be vigilant regardless of where you're enjoying your meal. And I, one of the things that I do as part of my work is I do kitchen surveys. Now, this is not at restaurants. These are at healthcare facilities and childcare centers. But this is where I check the kitchen. I'm not the inspector, but I tell them I'm the person who's going in to give a heads up on things that may be red flags if a health inspector comes by. So I, at the places I go, I don't see many issues very often. I think the biggest issue is people don't like to wear their hair nets. Um, but the other preparation methods are usually pretty good, at least at the places where I visit. So how to keep your food safe at home? At home is one of the bigger areas that I address because people assume they're good at home when in fact cross-contamination can be a big issue. So we have to have proper food safety practices at home. So at home, we want to make sure we are preventing cross-contamination by having proper storage. So raw meat, poultry, and seafood should be separate from ready-to-eat foods. Now, this doesn't mean you have to buy a separate fridge to store these when you're defrosting it, but make sure that you're defrosting foods on the bottom shelf I see it a lot where people are defrosting meat on the top shelf and the vegetables are on the bottom shelf and we want to have that reversed because if the meat or the chicken or the seafood, the juices spill, it could drip down onto ready-to-eat food and cause some potential contamination of all kinds of things. Now, leftovers, this is the other part. When we have leftovers, we want to refrigerate those leftovers promptly. So we want to store those within two hours of cooking. Ideally less, but really within two hours of cooking. And then here's a point of contention for a lot of people. We want to consume those refrigerated leftovers within three to four days. And I have people who argue with me all the time. They can go five days. They can go seven days. Well, if you want to, you certainly have that prerogative to do that, but it is strongly discouraged. It is not recommended to have leftovers past those three to four days. And then when you're reheating leftovers, you want to make sure it's at an internal temperature of 165 degrees. Now, I do have instant read thermometers. I use instant read thermometer all the time in my cooking. So it really needs to be hot to kill off any potential bacteria that was growing while it was in the refrigerator. So we want to ensure we have proper temperatures of cooked foods. So people hear that 165 and think everything should be 165. That's not necessary, but something should be. So poultry needs to be cooked to 165 internal. Ground meat no matter what kind it is, but ground meat, ground beef, ground turkey, ground pork should have an internal temperature of 160 degrees. And then seafood should reach 145 degrees internal temperature. 
So the various contaminants that can be in these different types of foods are killed off at those temperatures. So here's some common foodborne illnesses, their sources, and then some of the symptoms and some of the timeline that can happen after we are exposed to some of these potential contaminants. So first up is salmonella. And this is where we get from raw poultry, eggs, unpasteurized milk, and contaminated water. And that contaminated water could get on some crops. So sometimes you see a recall about various vegetables, and that could be from contaminated water. So raw poultry, eggs, no matter what the source, the chickens are the source of the salmonella. And then, like I said, unpasteurized milk. The symptoms, this includes diarrhea, fever, abdominal cramps, and vomiting. And here's the key with salmonella. Symptoms can typically occur or start six to 48 hours after consumption. So that's a pretty wide window. So it can happen after the same day as the meal, but up to two days as the meal or the food that caused the bacteria or caused the, the source of salmonella. So this makes it challenging to figure out what meal it was or where it came from sometimes. And keep in mind, it could be from, even though you cooked your poultry properly, if you had knife, a cutting board, a pan that had the salmonella juice or the raw poultry juice on it, that could still be a source of that salmonella. So the next up is E. coli. And the source of E. coli is often undercooked ground beef, raw milk, and again, contaminated produce. So again, produce can be contaminated by some of these sources of E. coli. So this is why we always want to wash our fruits and vegetables. But undercooked ground beef, raw milk. And the symptoms here can be severe stomach cramps, diarrhea, and that can be bloody diarrhea, and vomiting. And with E. coli, the symptoms can appear three to four days, three to four days after consumption. The third one I'll mention is listeria. And this is the one where the source is often contaminated deli meats. And the deli meats, once you open up deli meats, you really need to use those within those three to four day window and otherwise just throw it out afterwards. So contaminated deli meats, unpasteurized dairy products, and some fruits and vegetables. And the symptoms here, fever, muscle aches, diarrhea, nausea. And this one is a challenging one because symptoms can appear one to four weeks following consumption. One to four weeks. And then norovirus, what they call the cruise ship virus. And this is just because so many people are in such close proximity, touching so many different things, but it's not just on the cruise ships. And this was a, there was a lot of norovirus outbreaks once people started relaxing COVID protocols because people got a little bit lax in washing their hands. So the sources of norovirus, contaminated food, contaminated water, and contact with infected individuals. So this is one where if you're like, think about a buffet and all the people handling the different handles of the food. 
So you're serving yourself, then the next person serves themselves, the next person serves themselves. It can be really challenging to find out where that came from. So the symptoms, I know you'll be shocked to hear, symptoms, nausea, vomiting, diarrhea, stomach cramps. And the symptoms usually appear 12 to 48 hours after exposure. So you can, as I went through all these, diarrhea, abdominal cramps, vomiting, these are common symptoms of foodborne illness because the body is trying to expel that bacteria or the virus to try to get rid of it. So that's a that's something that happens and it's just a common symptom. So whenever somebody in my home got sick, when my son was younger, I'd always say, what did you have to eat in the last couple of days? So, so what to do if you suspect you have a foodborne illness? So it can happen. Despite all precautions, there's going to be instances where you or someone you know will have an illness following consuming food. So here's some steps to take if you suspect you have a foodborne illness. Number one, if you're experiencing severe symptoms, including a fever above 101, dehydration, persistent vomiting, bloody stools, or if you're in a high-risk group like elderly, young children, pregnant, or have a weakened immune system, seek medical attention immediately. Now, I know some people are like, every time I have diarrhea, I'm not going to seek medical attention. But keep in mind, it's the combination of these symptoms that are severe. So it's not something you're experiencing all the time. High fever and dehydration and vomiting. This is not, this is not good. Okay. Number two, stay hydrated. Stay hydrated. This is dehydration's a big concern regarding foodborne illnesses because of the diarrhea and vomiting. So that's where we recommend having clear fluids like water, broth, oral rehydration solutions. So this could be something like a Pediasure or Pedialyte, not Pediasure, Pedialyte or Gatorlite or Gatorade or an electrolyte beverage to help with staying hydrated. And definitely minimize or avoid alcohol because that can worsen dehydration and minimize your caffeine intake for a little bit as you're starting to recover. Number three, rest. You need to rest. It helps your immune system fight off the illness. Number four, if you know what or suspect which food it was that caused your illness, isolate it a lot of times people throw it away, which of course you want to throw it away, but I often recommend to throw it in the freezer in a zip top bag or a reusable container, throw it in the freezer with the date, because if it becomes so severe, your illness comes so severe and it has to include your state department of health to identify a source, then they can investigate a foodborne outbreak. Now, granted, you may not always have access to the food or know which food it is, but if you do have an idea, you can save it and they can figure out whether that is the source. And then this one, again, is something people don't always do, but report the illness. In some cases, if you suspect, suspect the illness was a result from dining out, it's essential to report it to your local health department. And this can identify potential outbreaks and prevent others from getting sick. And you may not report it directly to your department of health. But if you end up going to the hospital, they may end up reporting it. And then the Department of Health will want to follow up with you. So 
please don't avoid that if there is a risk of a foodborne outbreak that could affect many people. Practice good hygiene. We learned from the last few years how diligent we need to be with our hand washing and sanitation. And I know people are getting lax again. I've seen it. So we really want to help prevent the spread of illness. So many different different types of illness. So if you are sick, this seems obvious, but don't prepare food for others and wait till you're symptom free for at least 24 hours before doing food handling for other people. And then again, rest and recover because foodborne illnesses can be physically and mentally draining and give yourself time to recover fully before resuming your regular activities, especially your physical activities. I had an outbreak of foodborne illness more than a year ago, and it was easily more than a week before I felt back to normal and being able to do my regular activities. It was a pretty brutal episode of foodborne illness. But most cases of foodborne illnesses are mild and often resolved on their own without the need for medical intervention. So I'm not saying every time you feel sick, you need to run to the emergency department or urgent care. If it's severe or you're in an at-risk population, you need to pay attention to this and seek medical help if the symptoms are prolonged. So if you know what steps to take if you suspect a foodborne illness and the risk, this can ensure an easier recovery process. But really, as with many things, prevention is vital. So being prepared for the unexpected is equally as important as maintaining your health and wellness. So enjoy all your fall festivities and other things you do year-round and just be Patient, not patient, but diligent in making sure that you're using proper food handling techniques, storing things properly, not cross-contaminating, and recognizing if you have a foodborne illness, what you should do. Well, that's it. This that's it for this week's episode of the Real World Nutrition Podcast. Thanks for tuning in today. I hope you did enjoy this discussion as I talked nausea, nausea, vomiting, and diarrhea. But that's what dietitians talk about a lot. Now, I want to remind you that the Real World Meal Planning Course is opening on October 17th. So if you want to learn more about that, check the link in the show notes. And on that same day of the Real World Meal Planning online course, I do have a free workshop to give you some tips and introduce the Real World Meal Planning course. So the workshop on October 17th is Mastering Real World Meal Planning, Your Gateway to Healthier Eating. So check the link in the show notes. Register for that free workshop. You can you do need to register so you can get the link of where to go on October 17th. And you can sign up for the waitlist for the online course. I will be introducing the online course when I do the workshop. So head over and over to the website, take a look at what's there to keep you in the loop. And I am always here to help you with your wellness goals, whether it's the course, the workshop, or if you want to work with me one-on-one, you can schedule a free 30-minute introductory call to learn more about how we can work together and we can help you reach your wellness goals. All right, that is it for this week. You take care. Bye for now.